Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to season five of Nothing Is Real. Before we kick off, we just want to say hello and remind you that there's lots of different things in the Nothing Is Real universe to enjoy. And we've got lots of things planned for season five, haven't we, Stephen? We have indeed. We'll be talking about uh, some new albums that are coming out. We'll be talking about some mm. old albums. We'll be mm. spending a lot of time talking about lawsuits. It's always mm. a good thing. Everybody likes a lawsuit. We all love a good lawsuit. We're going to be talking about songs. We're going to be talking about places. We've got a good interview lined up for season five that we've just done uh, with somebody who's very, very interesting. So that'll be coming out too. So we just want to get you all primed. We also want to remind you about ACAST Plus, which is our subscriber option, because even though this is season five, there's kind of an interstitial season four and a half that's been going on in the background. We've discussed George Harrison's Dark Horse. We've discussed the incredible story of the fake American Beatles. We've discussed Paul McCartney's infatuation with our fine feathered friends. Uh, lots of good stuff going on in the ACAST plus Nothing Is Real universe, isn't there, Stephen? Lots of good stuff. I thought the fake Beatles was probably one of my favorite uh, episodes. That was a thing I knew nothing about. So there's a lot to, to, to discover there. Um, and there's, a, there's a, a bank building up of those episodes that you can access uh, if you subscribe. Yes. So that's all available on ACAST plus. You can find out about that on Nothing Is Real pod. Com. And we also have all our usual social activity where thousands of people are congregating to discuss and hang out and chat about the Beatles. The Nothing Is Real Facebook group, which is a private group that you can search for. And um, the Twitter group, which is at Beatles Pod. We've got William Hinson, who's running our fantastic Instagram. Thanks, William. Uh, all that stuff is located. You can look for it in the one place at nothingisrealpod.com. And there's also a bit of Nothing Is Real merch available on nothingisrealpod.com and for sale on Redbubble. There is. And most excitingly, we might be putting up a second TikTok video. <laughs> we might do a second TikTok video if uh, my kids convince me to do so. So yes, the Nothing Is Real universe is only getting bigger. We want to thank you for uh, coming with us on this journey and for all the nice reviews that you leave and for subscribing on Acast Plus for all those extra bonus episodes and goodies. But for now, let's kick off Nothing Is Real Season 5. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. Welcome back to season five. It's great to be here with another dozen episodes and a few extra bits and pieces that we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks. It's nice to be here, isn't it, Stephen? It's nice to be anywhere. Isn't that what they say? That's what they say. I, I set them up and you knock them out of the park. Anyway, anyway, here we go, folks, for season five. On November 22nd, 1968, just six years after Love Me Do was going up the charts, the Beatles by the Beatles hit the shops. 30 songs and 93 minutes long. It's the bloody Beatles White Album. Shut up. How do you discuss a behemoth of a record like this? 
In the words of Desmond Tutu, there's only one way to eat an elephant, one bite at a time. And so we'll go with one side at a time, logically starting with side two of the White Album. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it, Stephen? There's no other way to discuss it. Yeah. Not really. Not now you've set it up that way. <laughs> well, we should probably have a, a bit of a generic talk about the White Album generally, because we haven't touched upon it before on the podcast. And, you know, obviously everybody knows the White Album. It's a very, uh, to put it mildly, unique album. It is. Everybody knows the White Album, but how much did they really know? <laughs> well, that's what I've been saying for years. Um, but it's, 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 it's a classic Beatles uh, Beatles dodge where everyone thought they'd go one way and they go another way yes it is and it's everybody's favourite Beatles album I think um, okay I, uh, well is it yours yes definitely I often say Pepper's my favourite Beatles album but I'm aware that that's a um, there's an emotional connection for me with Pepper because it's you know it was a big entry point for me Pepper uh, I think the White Album when you come back to it it's still even though there's so much well-known stuff on it, it's still the lesser known. For an album that's sold so many copies, it is, still has unknown corners, which is really weird. That's, I think that's what I, that's what I like about it. It was the last Beatles album uh, in the canon that I bought. Yeah. Um, so I had all the other albums. I had the Red album, the Blue album, all those compilations. And then I saw a poster uh, with all of, in, in Rob Smith's record shop in Bangor and uh, with all of the Beatles albums on it. And down in the bottom, there was just a little white square, just like a little blank square. Yeah. And I remember saying to the guy, you know, but what, what, what is that? And he went, oh, that's the White Album. And the only songs that I knew at that stage were the three or four that appear on the Blue Album. Yeah. So when it arrived and they didn't have it in stock, it was so expensive at £7.50 uh, that they didn't carry it in stock. It was a special order. And uh, so there were... 25, 26 new Beatles songs that I'd never heard before. Yeah. Um, crazy. And it does have some of the most well-known Beatles songs, like some like Opal Diabada and then some of the least well-known Beatles songs. I, I was in a similar position. I remember buying it as a kid for a car journey and it was the first Beatles album I bought on CD. And uh, it just... I bought it for the copious amounts of music that you were going to get from it. Songs. I was like, yes. what does everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey sound like? That just seems insane. And when the reissues came out, the things I found out is that there's a, this kind of a popular national, you know, recognition of the Pepper cover and the Abbey Road cover, but White Album is still kind of a, a bit of a mystery. It is. It is that, that blank cover just, you know, there's, there's so much inside it, but can we just rewind slightly? You bought Absolutely. this as a child <laughs> for a car journey. When I say child, I was 14. Right. You weren't driving the car. Your parents were driving. My parents the car. were driving the car. Yeah. It wasn't some kind of Thelma and Louise childish <laughs> escapade. So they were probably fine listening to back in the USSR and Obla Dee Obla Da. How did they get on? With Revolution 9. No, as, no, no, as... no, no. I was sitting in the back with headphones. Let's oh. be totally clear. At this point, I was in surly 14-year-old mode. Thank where... heavens for that. Otherwise, they presumably would just have driven you. Revolution 9, they'd have just driven you straight no. to the psychiatrist. I'm not sure what was being played in the car. It could have been Charlie Pride or something. I don't know. But it's yeah. just, uh, no, no, no. This was this was my own little Beatle world. And it's, it's, a perfect, it's a perfect album for a surly 14-year-old in the back of a car. It is. Double albums tend to work well for surly teenagers, you yeah. know? <laughs> I'm thinking of the wall, yeah. uh, but uh, it's, 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 it's amazing in this day and age. Like that was like, I'm listening to that album for the first time. I remember hearing Blackbird for the first time, uh, you know, on that. I was like, how did I not 
you, you think now, how would you get to 14 or 15 without somehow interacting with mm. Blackbird? It's it's all over the place. But I hadn't heard tons of that stuff before. What I what I did know going into the album was some of the kind of evil connotations that had uh, attached to it. And because the, 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 the time I bought it was just after Helter Skelter had appeared on Rattle and Hum. And that's obviously the definitive version of it. Well, obviously it, it, they reclaimed that song, I think. That's uh, exactly what they said, that you two stole it. No, Charles Manson, Charles Manson stole, stole this it. from the Beatles and I'm stealing it back. And I think the Beatles probably said, no, you can, you can leave it with Charles. That's all yeah, right. That's fine. That's fine. Don't that's fine. Bono, Charles Manson, you know. You know, I, you two pop up regularly on this podcast. I do like you two. I find it fascinating. I don't think they can do a cover version. I, I think they can't cover anything. The only cover version, welcome to the U2 podcast. The only cover version <laughs> that I like is uh, Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's, that's reasonably nice. Well, but... s- satellite of Love is okay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, actually, okay. So I'll take back everything I said. Thank uh, 30 you. Seconds I'm, ago. I'm demolishing your uh, arguments. Of love is good. Um, let's get back to the matter in hand, which is uh, the White Album. Um, now, it wasn't the first double album in in rock and roll because that that tends to be uh, an award picked up by Frank Zappa's Freak Out with the Mothers of Invention. Um, yeah. Do you like Freak Out? No. no, no, no. I can say definitively, I don't like Freak Out. Zappa, Zappa is. There's too much. I've tried. I kind of I have that said, I maybe have a I was gonna say a dozen, maybe eight or nine Zappa album. You know, the usual contenders, hot rats, yep. uh yeah. that that kind of thing. But um uh Roxy and Elsewhere, that's a good album. Uh but it's just too much. I just can't I can't cope with uh, the sheer volume of stuff. There. Yeah. And I think I uh, yeah, I I do own a copy of Freak Out somewhere. I cannot say I've listened to it in the last 20 plus years. Um but the White Album comes out in November 68 and it's the end of this kind of I always see it as this kind of 1966 to 68 delta where there's the splitting of pop and rock, you yeah. know? And you know things get very serious in rock music and you have the rolling stonification of of stuff. And obviously, 67 was the year of uh, Sergeant Pepper. And in the wake of Sergeant Pepper, there's this whole, you know, you know, Sergeant Jollity and his ragtime, you know, minstrel, whatever, orchestra thing type stuff that they, you know, wandering bandwagon medicine show kind of stuff that happens. Uh, and I'm thinking of early 68 kind of prog stuff, groups like Tomorrow and all that kind of thing. Mm. And if people were expecting Sergeant Pepper, the sequel, if you were following the news throughout 68, you'd be finding out that, you know, that's not really what they had in mind. No, I mean, they, they, they spent the beginning of uh, 68, obviously, in, in India, and they, they left Lady Madonna as their uh, single to, as a mm. stopgap while they were away. And that, 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 that's a real change of pace. That's, that's kind of back to their rock and roll roots, although you have the inner light uh, on, on the B-side. But um, the earliest... Uh, Hint, I suppose, is um, maybe sort of in the middle of the year, Paul is starting to reference John Wesley Harding. Um, and this is an album that would have come out just before they went to India. And if you think Dylan has, Dylan never really bought into that psychedelic uh, stuff, it's, you know, but it's quite a leap from Blonde on Blonde to John Wesley Harding. And he's going for this strip back sound he's in the basement with the band at the, around the same time and John Wesley Harding seems to be a huge influence on them uh, at the time yeah like Dylan is hugely prolific and then he just disappears for 67 so he yeah. sits back everybody does their summer of love multicolored thing 
and then Dylan reappears. And so the White Album isn't the first out of the traps in this sort of grand reset of rock, but it's certainly keeping its eye on that uh, that kind of vibe. It's a, it seems to be a move towards this this authenticity. You know, yeah. I know you don't. I know you, you don't like authenticity. <sighs> you know, it's a, we're moving we're moving towards the band, men in beards <laughs> and, and and dark brown suits. And but, and, but I think uh, as we'll talk about it, that's what's fantastic about the White Album because there is this big schism between, you know. The monkeys versus the velvet underground basically is kind of yeah, what it's all yeah, about yeah. and uh you know the beatles with the white album they definitely i think managed to do both sides that they say look here is an album that contains you know happiness is a warm gun and you know honey pie and your blues and all of that kind of stuff and everybody's on board it seems Yes, I mean this. This is this is. Uh, I, I mentioned this before. You know, my theory about the Beatles always had something for the the kids, something for mm. the grown up, something for the mums and dads, the grannies. Uh, you know, even Sergeant Pepper has "When I'm 64." Yeah, and uh, you know, they yes, they're they're still. It, it's probably. Do they ever? get away from that i mean do they it's maybe, no. maybe maybe you know they're always even up to abbey road you've still got maxwell silverhammer yeah. on octopus's garden so they're still doing that um they're still trying to, to hit all of those the demographics I'm, yeah. sure nobody, I'm sure nobody used that word in 1968 but um but yes it's it's, it's extremely interesting and uh that that the, they don't they don't sort of put all their eggs in one basket here they don't suddenly decide we're going to go full out mm. you know rock it's not like the stones who suddenly you know, it's this kind of blues authenticity with Beggar's Banquet or, uh, you know, yeah. cre- Cream sort of dabble in pop on their first album and then they, they sort of move more into hard rock and blues. And, uh, and, and, and and the other thing about the White Album is, although we said, you know, well, maybe did Zappa get there first, but it's more as more probably by accident than design. What the White Album does deliver is this notion of, well, here is the double album as you know, the meandering and the ephemeral stuff is part of the charm. The fact that it's super long and super involving means that we can put a little bit of out there stuff on. So Revolution 9 being case in point that, you know, that gets to be on an album like that, whereas you wouldn't want it taking up a half hour single album. Exactly, exactly. And the, I mean, the thing to remember about Freak Out is it's what, 14, 14 tracks, 15 tracks, something like that. Um, you know, Blonde on Blonde uh, is is sort of the same. You know, you've got one side is one 11, 12 minute track. You've got 30 songs here. Yeah. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it, it ticks every box in terms of style and uh, uh, sound. So yes, it, it's, it's probably the first double album in the sense of, you know, Exile on Main Street or Tusk or those albums that follow this this sort of sprawling, eclectic mess. Yeah, yeah. In one sense, you know. Yeah, you know, you're talking to the Tusk fan club here. Tusk is. I, I, uh, I, I know that. Don't I know summon that. the I, Tusk I, I, deli- guy. I, I, I didn't mention what is it? What's what's that album? That double album? That ELO double album? Oh, Out of the Blue. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's got a that's got a symphony on one side, Stephen. Um, like as- I like I said. <laughs> you know? So there's a couple of uh, episodes that we've done already that kind of will feed into the whole vibe of 1968. There's our early 1968 episode where we look at the weeks before they went to India. And, you know, as Stephen mentioned there, the stuff that they had done um, was to leave behind Lady Madonna and the Inner Light. And they all said, hey, Bulldog in the can and a version of Across the Universe. That was their recordings for 1968 
uh, to date. Then they go off to India and then they come back from India. And the legend is that they have tons of songs. And it's the melody maker at the end of April 1968 gives a hint that there's lots of music flying around, isn't it? Yes, this is uh, Tony Barrow gives an interview and... Um... Uh, he, he's saying, you know, John has 15 songs, Paul has the same, George has completed several, and Ringo has finished at least one. So this is the first hint that Ringo has written a song. At this, this stage, Tony Barrow is saying, uh, highly unlikely they'll all be recorded, probably about half will be abandoned somewhere along the line. Um, so they, it, it's sort of out there that they have this uh, stockpile of songs. But I suppose, you know, the public always thought they had a stockpile of songs. We know yeah. that isn't the case, but from the very earliest days, they were saying, you know, please, please me comes out and they're saying, we're sitting on a hundred songs that we've written uh, yeah. so far. Um, so this maybe wasn't anything particularly new in terms of uh, the public perception. Um, but we know that the, all the songs they had, most of those songs are going to end up on this album. Yeah, and we know from the Esher demos that they go in right at the start. They record yeah. a ton of these songs. Not all of them appear on the album. Some of them appear on later records or, or, or disappear uh, to get kicked down the line into the, the solo years. Um, but they are going into the studio and we don't really have a sense of how they decided the order in which they would record things. Um, but they, they head off uh, at the end of May and, and by July, Paul is saying to the melody maker, uh, as you say, he's referencing John Wesley Harding. Some of the songs will be simple if they are phenomenal songs, if they will need production. Uh, John Wesley Harding, he said, um, you know, is a back to basics was simple and it didn't have big productions. So they're obviously, Dylan's one of the few people they pay attention to, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at what point is it officially announced that it's a double album? But this comes in October uh, okay. where Derek Taylor is saying, uh, imagine a double Sgt. Pepper album all at once. Uh, the only difference being this is 1968 and not 1967. Uh, keep in mind the different climate. Imagine the record to be that way. They're much more free this these days. There's a lack of guile in their approach. So he's hinting it's a simple, straightforward song. There's a lot of rock and roll. Uh, the Beatles are very aware of their roots. And uh, he, he explicitly says the whole package will be distinguished by a marked absence of psychedelia. So mm. now uh, th this is only the this is the month sort of four or five weeks before the album uh, is due to come out. But they're they're sort of letting people know this is going to be a change. Yeah, I thought that's a really telling comment, a marked absence of psychedelia. You know, obviously by yeah. October, he knows it's a white cover. He knows what the, yeah. the kind of the style of this uh this um, record is is going to be and uh, you know of course in the interim they've had you know hey jude revolution has come out in the summer as the preceding uh single um but it's uh you know it's it's it must have been very exciting in october 68 to be hearing about what was coming down the tracks um the old chestnut should it have been a single album well no no <laughs> okay no no definitely not I'll just, I'll just write that down <laughs> could could could, could, could could be a triple album. That's another episode. Could, exactly. I mean, you know, could Red Rose Speedway be a single album? Of course not. Um, so, you know, Paul famously in the anthology says, you know, it's the bloody Beatles White Album. Shut up. And, and that's the general point of it. When you have a big broad canvas like this, you can do uh, whatever you want. You found a really interesting, um, you know, before we look specifically at side two, you found an interesting extract from the 
New Yorker. Yes, because I'm that kind of guy that reads a New Yorker. You're and very I'm, well um, <laughs> read. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> um, the first two sides, they say, follows the William Blake template, providing literal songs of innocence. Take that, you two. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and they uh, foreshadow the darkness to come. So, so they're, they're, I mean... One of the things you have to bear in mind is the the attention. I mean, you know, it's famously the sequencing of the White Album was the single longest uh, Beatles session. Yes, um, it's the know, only so, twenty four hour Beatles session. So there's a lot of uh, thought goes into this, and what what the New Yorker uh, says is like vaudeville acts. These vignettes shift in style and tonality, including a music hall sing along about young lovers in a fantasy marketplace, an ode to the sheepdog, a sweet meditation on a blackbird with broken wings, but already blue notes intrude on the carnival images of American landscapes from Miami beach to the black mining hills of South Dakota, juxtaposed with gun violence, Saturday matinee, cowboy, Rocky raccoon. Um, and then followed by, Piggies, a sardonic Orwellian portrait of a predatory capitalism, the adolescent lust of why don't we do it in the road, and finally Julia John's wrenching heartbroken apostrophe to his dead mother who took him to the seashore as a boy. Mm. Um, so they are they are focusing on the fact that this album unfolds. And, yes. you know, so you, you, you've got the up-tempo side, one that starts it, and then you kind of move through into side two, which uh, are these songs of innocence these um you know animal we've got animal songs there we've got pastiche we've got comedy songs we yes. so it side two i think is the is you know arguably the most interesting i'm not saying it's the best side or it contains the best song but it's it's the most interesting side i think yeah there was no pre-release single none of these songs were no. were known and uh you know they, they, they sign off and they're discussing julian that review it says, you know, the song Julia closes the book on a collective childhood abandoned and lost. And you think, no, it actually kind of opens the door for John yeah. to to go down that songwriting avenue um, very much. So, uh, so yeah, so let's have a little look at side two. Do you want some stats, Stephen? Come on. Everyone loves stats. Give us the stats, Jason. Well, well, okay. The, look, the White Album sessions went from the end of May 1968 to October 1968. There were 35 songs recorded during that. And of course, 30 of those 35 songs went on to the White Album. The songs that didn't go on there were obviously Hey Jude and the Revolution B-Side, and then also Not Guilty, What's the New Mary Jane, and etc. So it was a pretty tight uh, session. Side two uh, out of all the sides on the White Album, has more songs than any other side on the White Album, with nine. However, it is the shortest running time of any side on the White Album, running at about 22.41. You're Interesting. good. You're good. Uh, with a breakdown of songs of one for George, one for Ringo, five for Paul and two for John which is quite interesting because you mightn't even notice that there's only two no. John songs on that side. Um, but they are uh, obviously uh, Julia and I'm So Tired. If you were to look at the songs as they were recorded chronologically for side two, do you want to hear that list? We do. It, it goes, Don't Pass Me By, Blackbird, Rocky Raccoon, I Will, Piggies, Martha, My Dear, I'm So Tired, Why Don't We Do It In The Road, and Julia. And five of the nine songs featured on the Easter demos, which meant obviously that four of them did not. Interesting stats. There you go. This is why we keep you around. Uh, thank you. Yes, I am the office boy. I will get some teas in a minute. Um, let's just get stuck in, shall we? Yep. Okay. So side one, 
uh, or sorry, <laughs> side two, track one, oh man, is Martha, my dear. And can I just say, for years, I thought side two opened with uh, happiness is a warm gun because I am a child of the CD era. Ah. And for some reason in my head, I thought that the obvious split between side one and side two should have been between um, while my guitar gently weeps and then side two should open with happiness is a warm gun. You can see why I might think that. Well, yes. Why my guitar big bombastic. It has this big bombastic ending yeah. and then side two would open with she's not a girl who misses much. Ooh, exciting. And I'm embarrassed to say it's relatively recently, like maybe only about five or six years ago that I got my first ever vinyl copy of the White Album. And I was like, that's a really dumb thing to have just assumed. I don't know why I assumed it. Yeah, I just well, had. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I can see that. I can see that. You know. Yeah, you know, happiness would be a good side opener. But anyway, we're not here to discuss happiness as a warm gun. We're here to discuss Martha, my dear, which in the non-Jason universe is the song that actually opens side two of the White Album. Uh, Martha, my dear, everyone knows what this is about, don't they? It's about his little sheepdog. Yeah. Or big sheepdog. Yes. Um, so Paul had a sheepdog. Now, I've read things that say 65 and some things that say 66 when he got the dog. I think it might actually be 66, okay. uh, if you trust me. <laughs> um, but he got it to go with his house in Cavendish Avenue, didn't he? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, his first pet. He'd never had a pet. Oh, yeah, I suppose he didn't really. He does. There's no pets growing up that we know of. No, no. no. Um, can I tell you my most depressing Beatles fact? is that uh, Martha the Sheepdog would outlive John Lennon. Really? Yes. Martha the Sheepdog didn't die till about 1981. And, um, and Paul had kept puppies from Martha the Sheepdog. So it's I, one of the offspring on the cover of Paul is Live. I know that. I knew that. But I, I hadn't realized that uh, Martha lived until 1981. That's, that's, that's grim, that, isn't it? That is grim. It gives but, you an idea just how quick that timeline was. You know, it's, it's yeah. quite shocking. Um, and Paul loved Martha. She appears in the Strawberry Fields Forever video. Yes. Yes, if, if you are here at the end of um, that. Yes, he 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 remarks that you know John always found it odd that uh, he had a dog and you know said you know, I've never seen you act that way with animals or and he said, you know animals love you unconditionally. Yeah, I believe well, it, it, it. It feeds into that thing of Paul's where yeah he does love animals and I think it's why over the years he's plugged himself into his family so much because. Mm. You know, if if you're Paul McCartney and you're meeting somebody new, you don't know whether, you know, are they my friend or are they just after me because I'm Paul McCartney. But if you're if you've got pets, you've got kids, you know, you can really plug into that world and forget about yourself, you know. So the obvious thing is to write a song about. True, yes. By the way, are you a, are you a dog person, Stephen? No, no. <laughs> nor, nor, nor cats, nor any. I'm not a pet. Uh, I'm not a pet person. Okay. Well, sorry. Sorry. So, you, just, so, so, so I'm a cat person. So, I, so you're John in this dynamic, and I'm Paul. Yeah. Although John, John ended up with cats, I think. In uh, oh yeah. But is it is it really about his sheepdog? Well, you know, the thing with Paul is he sort of writes these kind of supple songs, and he'll start off in one point, and he'll just you know follow a thread, and so you know it's it, what we know mm -hmm. is. It is, if, if I look at my list here, it is the 30th of the 35 songs recorded for the White Album. So it's recorded quite late. Mm. And the contemporaneous notebooks apparently say that there was two songs that he was writing, which was Martha, My Dear, and a song called Silly Girl. Yes. And you can see how, uh, you know, if he had a song called Silly Girl, that that's obviously nothing to do with Martha. And he's just welded the two songs together, probably. 
Yes, I mean, he, he says he wrote, writes this in October 68, but as you say, the two songs appear in his notebook. If you if you go to the anthology book, there's a little... I, I really don't like the layout of the anthology book. It's so hard I, to it, read. It's yeah. really hard to read, but if you go to the uh, chapter on 1968, you can see his notebook and he's got various songs listed. Um, so the assumption would have to be, as you say, that this is... This is him sticking two bits of music together. Um, he, he says, you know, this was just a piano piece originally that he taught himself to play it. And he says it's kind of above his or beyond his capability at the time. He was trying to push himself and he's just blocking out words. So I suppose Martha is just a, a name. It has a Martha, my dear, has a kind of lyrical flow to it. And he yeah. just vamps from there. So it's one of these songs that's really, it's, it's not about anything in particular. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a hard song to play on the piano. Like if you think of Paul on the piano in 1968, Lady Madonna is not particularly straightforward to play. Uh, mm. I've never tried to play Martha, my dear. I have tried to play Lady Madonna and it's just really hard to get the, the feel of it right. Uh, Martha, my dear, there's, there was a chap on YouTube or whatever, one of those TikTok, whatever the kids are watching these days, who did a performance of Martha, my dear, recently. And you're watching the, the keyboards play and you think, yeah, this is this is a difficult song to play, particularly for somebody who does not write music or read music. Well, this is it. You know, he's not he's not trained. He he he's he's he doesn't write music. He uh, and he he does say he does specifically say um, he was pushing himself with mm. this. Um, Ian McDonald in Revolution in the Head says that. Uh, it refers back to happiness as a warm gun with its kind of little sections and changing time signatures and things like that and so they've been working very hard on that song and then Paul uh, comes up with this uh, this is the next one um, that they, they really start working on and uh, mm. that he, he posits that perhaps he was influenced by that you know I've, I've got to do something kind of tricksy and fun and and if that's the case it's interesting to, to contrast the two songs you know John goes for something like happiness as a warm gun Paul's idea of being kind of tricksy and complex and is is a fun uh, <laughs> yes tricksy and complex you know um, yeah it's uh, it was recorded in not Abbey Road but in Trident Studios over two nights um, starting on the 4th of October 1968 um, so Paul recorded vocals piano and drums first uh, and then there were session musicians who had been primed from a, a demo. Is that right? George Martin had written to a demo. That's it. Paul gave him a demo so that he could work up the, the I haven't score. heard that demo. Is that out there? I haven't heard that demo. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard, heard that, that demo, demo either. Um, I have to say, I, I do like the score. I like I like the kind of brass band uh, I, I, I think the score is, yeah, is really unusual and it's really distinctive. There's occasional, you know... You can. Some people say that Abbey Road is the kind of the sound of the seventies in advance. There are certain bits and pieces that pop up on the White Album and the the instrumental break in Martha, my dear, with the hand claps and the horns. I yeah. think sounds very seventies. You know, it it uh, it and it's it's not. You know, George Martin was brilliant and fantastic, but occasionally he would have sort of a sort of a romantic sound to mm. his 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 scores, whereas this thing is very brassy, upbeat, dancey, and the, the the unscored version is on the White Album box set, and it's not as much fun. No, by any stretch of the imagination, you know, no, it's it's not. And it, uh, although they're two very different songs, "Single Pigeon" from Red Rose Speedway is this. It reminds me of it's a it's a much more understated yeah. brass brass arrangement. But uh, the the two songs I think go go together. But yes, I've I, the 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 
unscored version is not as much fun. And it just go to show that, you know, Paul and George Martin, we can kind of tell now, you know, after 50 years, they had a, a very specific working relationship where George Martin, and I don't mean this to sound uh, inflammatory, but George Martin really took Paul seriously. Yes. And Paul knew what George was able to do. So the notion that Paul is slipping George Martin a demo to say, we're going to record this with the Beatles next week, sort out a score. And George Martin goes off and does it. I can't imagine any of the other Beatles working with George Martin in that kind of way. Uh, no, I, 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 I think that's absolutely right. I think, you know, John in particular, I think to an extent probably resented yeah. George Martin by this stage, you know, um, that... Uh, he he's wanting to get back to more basic stuff, I suppose. But, um, you know, you, 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 we've all been in that situation where, you know, you're learning something or you're trying to do something new and you've got a teacher and there's some, and you kind of feel resentful that this person knows more about the subject than you do, even though they're the person who's 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 sort of teaching you how to do something. Yeah. Um, and I think there is that sound of underlying resentment. And I suspect George had that as well, because naturally enough, George Martin has admitted this, he was giving the bulk of his attention to, to John and Paul. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Paul, I think, was much more open to learning. Yes. Um, Len Lennon, I think, just doesn't have the patience for that. Now, there is, uh, as I said, there is this... Um overdub with the session musicians there is the the, the beatles white album box set is, is the gift that keeps on giving it is a fantastic box set and there is a i was going through it in advance of today there is a picture of the overdub session with paul and george smiling in front of the session musicians which is labeled as the martha my dear session so we got to assume that you know uh certainly paul george and ringo are there for the recording is john there john doesn't seem to have been there and uh, you know the, the, supposedly this track is played by Paul just with the session musicians, doesn't feature anybody else. But as mm. you say, George is there, Ringo is there. There's definitely an electric guitar yeah. uh, there. Um, there's a little bit in the Beatles book monthly um, uh, that uh, Mal Evans, uh, you know, his sort of diary thing, he, he says, Ringo bashed a hole in his brand new bass drum skin the night we started this track. So perhaps he was just frustrated that he wasn't being allowed to play that he kicked <laughs> up but so so it, it's it's odd there are there are sort of competing uh stories there as to who who played what i would refer to the white album box set from time to time book so the book the book says paul george and ringo are on this one yeah um which is uh fair enough it, it would make sense i mean why why would they be there if uh if they weren't required and if they were there why would they not be used you, yeah you know um but as we'll, as we'll discuss, there's various permutations of how many Beatles are on each given track as we, as we go across. You know, it's, it's not it's not clear cut that all four Beatles are present for all four uh, songs. Um, the, even after it's recorded, it pops up in January 69. Yes, Paul is is playing this uh, on January the 9th and the 14th. And then again in Apple Studios on January the 25th, just sort of tinkering around, around with it. So again, you, you get the sense from those little clips that he's, um, you know, it's it's a tricksy piano piece. So he's, yeah. Yeah, he's warming just, up or just showing off well, he would one get or the in, other. <laughs> or both. He would do that thing and let it be where he just wander in the morning and just play the piano to himself for, for a while. And um, 
you know, you sometimes tend to forget in the sort of the, the Beatles narrative, you kind of get into very much regimented years and you do forget that the month in January 69, when they're doing all the Let It Be stuff is just six weeks after the album comes out. These albums, are, these songs are still fresh. So Martha, My Dear is recorded in October 68. So it's, you know, November, December, January, three months, not even three months later, but 10 weeks later, they're doing yeah. the Let It Be sessions. So, yeah. You know, this this isn't like some reaching back into the past to play a classic in January no, they're 69. Not, they're, not, they're not playing It's Not Love Me Do or it's... And I mean, the, the, you know, it's essentially a continuation uh, yeah. the, of, of the session. They just they just keep working all through. It is. It, it always struck me as funny, though, because they, they, they got so wrapped up in this notion of going back to basics in January 69 that they, they didn't realise, as we've kind of discussed earlier, that the White Album was them going back to basics. That was that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think. I mean, I think uh, there are performances on the White Album which are band performances. You know, your mm. blues and things like that. And I suppose that's what maybe inspired Paul to think, in particular, um, we can do these live. These were we're now at a stage. You know, we've moved away from Revolver, Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour. The orchestras the studio trickery yeah. the, the we're now back and we we recorded some of the basic stuff on the white album live so we can we can do it live but he's never i think played martha my dear live me yeah, a sound check apparently in tokyo got it got a little bit of a uh, a bit of a play apparently you'd, what, you'd be you'd be pleased if 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 he suddenly started to play martha well, my dear well you know the last time we saw paul at the end of 2018 it was amusing that uh, the White Album is such a reservoir for Paul's live set. So Mm. he took five songs from the White Album uh, at that gig. He played back in the USSR, Birthday, Blackbird, Oh Bloody Oh Bloody Dan, Helter Skelter. And if you think about it, here is a guy who has so many good songs. He's going to do five album tracks from an album that's 50 years old. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. everyone's going to go nuts. Imagine if somebody said, listen, I'm going to do nothing but album tracks tonight. And you're pulling out songs like, you know, Birthday and Helter Skelter and all the rest. It's interesting. Do people know those songs? Do Paul fans know those songs from the White Album or from Paul's versions of those because he's he's committed, he you know he's released versions of these these yes. some of those not obviously not Martha my dear but he's you know are the, are the are the people who are there and responding to that are they responding to those songs because they know well, his version of of these songs rather certainly Obladio Badam back in the USSR are you know red yeah. and blue album favorites so they're going to be played anywhere I I've kind of. I kind of have come to the thought in the last few years that he could basically play any Beatles song at this stage in concert. Mm. Uh, like if, and as we said to, you know, we were chatting to Luke Haynes, you know, if he broke out Maxwell's Silver Hammer, whatever your opinion is of that song, if he played that live, people would be like, ha ha, fantastic. Yes. And yep. they would just go this with the flow. True. So I think he could basically crack at any Beatles song. What kind of surprised me as a young Beatles fan when he was doing the, you know, um, the tour for Flowers in the Dirt, the, the New World Tour, mm. Trip in the Life Fantastic and all that. What surprised me was how much of Abbey Road he did, because I didn't think that was maybe at that point in time, the late 80s, quite the big The touchstone, deal. yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that was, yeah. And I think he has made that the touchstone for his gigs. Uh, maybe maybe that's obvious in retrospect. Maybe somebody who was around there in 1989 might want to criticise me, but it wouldn't have been... Um, you know, I, I, although that kind of 89 tour was a big revival for his Beatles tracks, that particular ending his gigs with the Abbey Road suite was very much a kind of a hands up. I've got nothing better than this to finish yeah, my gigs it, with it, in it, a way. It is. A, it is a little bit. It is a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's Martha, my dear. We we can take that one off the list, can we? And what a great start to side two. <laughs> what a great start to side two. And we thought we wouldn't be able to stretch this out. And here we are. <laughs> Martha, my, just there's so much to talk about. End of part one. Intermission. End of intermission. Part two. Um, let's go to the, the second track on side two. So 2-2, two, two, which is I'm So Tired. Um, this is a song that uh, did have an Isher demo done for it. And it is um, the song that was uh, uh, recorded. I've uh, got to find my recording order here. It was recorded uh, 32nd out of the 35 songs for the White Album. So it's keep, recorded keep, near the end. Keep keep the best to last. That's uh... pretty much. Um, uh, and it's 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 so John. This is this is arguably his best song. Okay, argue it then. Um, <laughs> I mean, if 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 you wanted, you, you know, we talk about uh, Plastic Ono Band, and we you know giving an insight into to to John's psyche and uh, you know primal screaming and all the rest of it. But if you had to pick one song that was just quintessentially him. This is it. He just likes lying in bed. He does like lying in bed, more so than maybe any of the other Beatles. And it is a kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it capture. You, you do get a sense that it's absolutely about him. Yes. That it's not like Martha, my dear. It's not about a sheepdog or some imaginary girl or something. This is this is absolutely about about John. And mm. there, there's a. There, there's a sort of a path from, I suppose, in my life is the first explicit one, but obviously there's autobiographical writing earlier than that. But you do just get a sense that this is about him. And in, in one sense, it's a song about nothing, about yeah. just insomnia. But in another sense, it's a song about everything. You, you know, it's 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 kind of about the human condition. It's about yeah. uh, kind of how your mind works, what it's like to be a sort of, artist what it's like to be a human being you know mm. uh, well the other you know the other uh, episode that we've done in the past that kind of feeds into what we're talking about today is our episodes about the song revolution and yeah. there's something happening with john when he comes back from uh, india well one is he is he is hooking up with yoko and he is uh you know, sets the process in place to divorce cynthia lennon um but there is also the the more personal aspect of his songwriting is coming out and a song like i'm so tired you know John, when he writes about himself, you know, it, it's him when it's at its best, he's managing to write about himself, but also we can all yes. imagine it's about ourselves. Yes. So, you know, he, you know, if, if he's doing a song, I don't know, like do the Oz, you're like, well, whatever. Okay. But yeah. if you're singing a song, like I'm so tired, you think, well, I've been tired. <laughs> yes. This and, is, no, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. He can take the personal and make it universal. And, yeah. you know, we can argue about, in future episodes about when he perhaps that gift started to slip away, you know, where you become the solipsism starts to take over and it's, it's, it, it, it no longer kind of resonates, uh, beyond yourself, your wife and your circle of friends. You well, know? what I would add to, you know, you saying this is, you know, quintessentially John or possibly the best song as I would say that this song is, uh, perhaps the best example of why the Beatles were the best band to back John Lennon. Hmm. because they are taking this song, you know, which is basically about being tired and being insomniac, and they are suffusing it with a very specific performance that 
gets across this sort of drowsiness, this middle of the night discombobulation. You know, it gets, you know, there's bits of the song where he gets a bit angry, you know, I give you everything I've got for a peace of mind. And, yeah. you know, the band are matching matching him for that sound. Uh, it, it, it's, if, if you take John Edwin and listen to how, what the band are bringing to a track like that versus, say, some 70s session musicians, it is really great. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's a, there's, there's a sort of empathy. Yes, there's, there's, there's an empathy there in, in the play. And uh, what, I, what I'd say is that, you know, you couldn't pinpoint anybody that's letting a side down. Mm. Um, but, but Ringo, I think, is just amazing on this track. Um, it's, yeah. it's an odd drum part, um, yeah. but it, it's it also say about you know it's Paul's bass or Ringo's drums. They serve the song. Yeah. This this is what this is what Ringo is doing uh, here, um, and it's it, it, it's a song. I suppose is it's a song about Yoko. Well, possibly, yeah. It's uh, th- there's a lot going on, so let's let's break it down a tiny bit. Um, you know, we have uh, as we said. John always liked his bed. And the more you think about it, you know, there's not just the bed-ins. There's loads of footage of him in bed in Titanus Park. There's loads of photos of him in bed in the Dakota. Bed, bed, bed was where he got lots of stuff done. Um, Yes. Um, Yeah, if you... What what I recommend just on the White Album generally is the David Quantic book, uh, Revolution, The Making of the Beatles' White Album. I do not always agree with David Quantic's opinions uh in in this book but it's 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 a very well written book and it's very funny it's very droll yeah um and one of my favorite sentences he says like many artistic people who rise late work late and value their sleep perhaps a little too much john was mad for his bed (laughs) and i think i think you know that's that's it you know the bed ins and everything it's i'm only sleeping you know he it's it's yeah we have many casual pictures of paul you know on his farm grappling with a uh, his flock, um, yeah. but we don't really have any pictures of him. No. Even if even if it's pictures of him relaxing, he's usually diving into a pool, or you know, you know, on top of a horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah. he likes a good night's sleep as much as the rest of us. But you know, um, yes. So the the song this is a song that came from uh, India, and Paul, when John was writing in India, he had a copy book. They all had copy books in India, and John, and you can see this in the White Album box set when you're looking at the mm. scan of the lyrics John would write a number for each song that he was writing and so this was song 12 apparently song 12 so and do we, we, we 
so he's 12 songs written in India before he gets to this one. Yeah, so that, must have, that, yeah. That, that, that would make sense because he, in, in 1980, he says, you know, I, I, I was in India, I couldn't sleep, I'm meditating all day, couldn't sleep at night. That's the story, one of my favorite tracks. I just like the sound of it, I sing it well. But so he's a little bit sort of casual about what he's talking about in this song. But uh, as you say, he'd already begun his relationship with Yoko at some mm. intellectual level, shall we say, at this stage. Before he goes to India, yes. Uh, she's writing goes, to him in India. And she's sending him little cards and, you know, and uh, um, but clearly he's, I think he seems to be writing this to uh, to Yoko, that my mind is set on you. I wonder, should I call you, but I know what you would do. Yeah, you know, that seems yeah. to be about another woman, you think? Well, it's 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 to do with tiredness, but it's also to do with preoccupation. I yeah. don't want to say obsession, yeah. but just yeah. kind of it's to do with mental churn, basically. Yes. Yes. And uh, as you pointed out, there's one line which might be able to tell us exactly when he wrote the song. <laughs> yes. He said uh, he sings, you know, it's three weeks. I'm going insane. So three weeks into his stay in India would be March the 9th, 1968. So there and we go. Three weeks is a reasonable length of time to get to your 12th song if you weren't uh, doing anything else. If you were John Lennon. Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, so at this stage, he's, you know, he'd have had three weeks of meditating, three weeks of isolation, three weeks of thinking about Yoko, three weeks of getting her postcards running down to the you know, post box or wherever the postcards were arriving to in India. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that, that makes sense. Yeah, that does all that up. Um, it does appear on the Isher demos and it has this uh, funny little kind of extra bit in the Isher demos, uh, which is what, when I hold you in your arm, when you show each one of your charms, I wonder, should I go to the funny farm and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, if you listen to that demo, if you listen to that little section, that actually sounds like that's the bit that gets reworked for happiness is a happiness, warm gun. Yeah. When yeah, I hold when, you, when yeah. I hold you in my heart. Yeah. And feel yeah. your finger on my trigger. So that's, that's kind of interesting how nothing is wasted. You yep. know, they'll turn this bit into a bit of soup and this yep. bit goes into a pie. You know, it's very, it's very post-war. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, as we said, it's recorded late, song 32 of 35, um, pretty much begun and completed with all four of them, uh, 8th of October, 1968, with a long session alongside Bungalow Bill. Yeah. Uh, so this is, again, this is a band track they're all playing they're playing it live and john is singing on every every take and there's some overdubs later uh, extra vocals drums guitar but uh you know this is this is a live band track. yeah and feeding into that notion of solo lennon you know there are bits on the album and we said this in the revolution episode where you hear the voice of you know uh the plastic ono band lennon appearing and yes. you hear it here this kind of screaming you know yeah uh, yes absolutely melodic screaming kind of vo- vocal which is new for him really it is. I think this is absolutely. This is this is this is this is where that uh, solo Lennon voice uh, comes in. Now, I was listening to the song yesterday, Stephen, and I got really worried because I thought, Jesus, is Paul dead? I thought that's kind of what I heard. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly. Yeah, he just says Paul is dead, man. I was miss, really miss freaked him, out. Miss him, miss him, I, and you were convinced. You were convinced. I was rocking in a corner. I didn't yeah. know what to do. I was yeah, just uh, somebody had to talk me out of it. So, so yeah. So, what is he? What is he? What is he mumbling about? He says, will I try and do it on the microphone here? Mr. So, Mr. Mr. How about another one? Okay. <laughs> um, or, or miss him, miss him, miss him. But yeah, this became yes. a, this became a key, 
a key track, I suppose, or key key clue in the uh, Paul of Dead. Paul is yeah. dead. Uh, you know, uh, if you play it backwards, he says, uh, you know, Stig has been dead for ages. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> um, it does also reappear in Twickenham. Everything, um, everything, everything reappears, reappears in, Twickenham, in, Twickenham. Uh, in January '69, and uh, we have versions of anthology. We have different versions of anthology three, which is a, one of these Frankenstein mixes, and then we have two other <sighs> yeah. versions on, on. Um, or we have a, a take seven, take 14 on the White Album box set. That take 14 on the White Album box set is fantastic. It, it is very good. It it's, is one of those things that uh, you, you think, why why, why didn't that come out in, it, on it, anthology? Why did they need, feel the need to kind yeah. of... Yeah, it's one of the few alternate versions where you're thinking, actually, that would do. You know, yes. it's got it's got different harmonies. It's got a different yep. kind of melodic keyboardy guitar-y thing in the background. Yep. It, it would have done. And the other thing I would say is the 5-1 mix is fantastic, particularly if you the, want to dig out Ringo's drums. The these five, kind of, yeah. Yes, the 5-1 five, the five, the five mix on, on is of, of this whole album is very good. insanely good. Yeah, um, I, I recommend listening to Revolution 9 in particular in the dark in a 5.1 yeah. remix. They just go nuts. <laughs> have you heard that version from Twickenham with Paul singing the song? I can't say I have, no. It's, you should, I'd see if I can find a, a, a copy of that on YouTube and, and put it up. But he's, he's, it's a full take and it's, he's basically trying to sound like John right down to the miss him, miss him at the end, you know, so it's... Uh, take that out, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Um, yes, yeah, so, so lots of different versions. You know, the, the thing I noticed on the 5-1 when I was listening is Ringo's kind of, Ringo's drums have this kind of train thing where he goes, you know, I'm putting you on, this kind of chug chug yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just uh, fantastic. So even in a, and it's not even his only song about being tired or we also have I'm Only Sleeping as well, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. uh, but it is a, it is a, it is a fantastic, song uh and yeah one of the tracks that features all four beatles yes ah, shall i tick that off the list should we go on to tick tick, tick that tick, off the list uh, tick that off the list this is literally a tick box exercise okay track three side two is blackbird a song um, people might know yes people might know because we talked about this on our bonus paul's birds episode so oh, there's yes. probably probably not much more to say so there's not much more to say folks uh, you know? so we can we can we can just go on to piggies let's not let's 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 just stick on blackbird for a sec because we really focused on solo paul birds when we, we were talking about that so blackbird is the fourth of the 35 songs to be recorded for the white album so it was recorded quite early on it's the first paul song to get recorded for the White Album, and it does have a, a, an e-shirt demo. And it's one of those songs that Paul kind of keeps telling us about uh, over yeah. the years. He has told us how he's written it, why he's written it, what's it written about, what's it for. And he loves this uh, song. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And listen, why shouldn't he? You know, like if, if, you'd, if you'd created if, something like this, you'd be telling everyone about it all I, the I'd never, time. I'd never shut up about it if I'd written <laughs> If I'd written this song, if I'd written a line in this song, uh, yeah. I, I, I'd never shut up about it. Um, now, do we summon uh, for the first time in this episode, uh, Donovan? We do. We do. We, we do. The, uh, the, 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 the rehabilitation uh, of, of Donovan yes. starts, starts here. I we, don't we, have a problem we, with that. We've been slightly unkind. People have been pointing out that we've been slightly unkind yes. uh, to Donovan over the years, but we've just been reporting what Donovan well, says. Again, if I had lived Donovan's life, I wouldn't stop talking about it either. You know, no, I've been, exactly. been hanging out with the Beatles you know exactly yeah. but i think I, I i i think you know we we can definitively say that this is the point 
this yeah. is the point in in India uh, in particular is is where Donovan's influence really it, it comes into play and where you, you you know the evidence is on on tip and it's it I think you know because because uh, the legend is that Donovan you know was uh, you know uh, had a folk styling uh, to his guitar playing he would do finger picking and in India he teaches it to John and he's also showing it to Paul. And to my mind, it affects John and Paul slightly differently because Paul has a couple of little classical things that he does on a guitar anyway. Yes. Uh, and so it, I would imagine it's kind of the combination of Paul's picking out little classical things that, that he would, that he has said in interviews that he did, you know, way back in cavern days for a laugh, Do you know, where you play that, bits of back on the guitar with George. That's uh, it, yeah. it, it, it kind of gets put into the stew with the Donovan finger picking and you get a thing like Blackbird. Yes, I mean, the, 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 there's, uh, I think again in the David Quantic book, he recounts the fact that, you know, they only had acoustic guitars with them and, and Donovan is able to play, you know, any any of his repertoire uh, on in this kind of finger-picking style. And he said the Beatles are reduced to playing When the Saints Come Marching In and Happy Birthday and Jingle Bells and things like that because they're just kind of blocking out chords and they don't really have that facility to, pl to play those things. And uh, so then they're, they're suddenly keen to learn. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of, you imagine it's kind of come by our campfire stuff. Um, uh, and this is a much more sophisticated thing. And, the, the, you know, for all that the Beatles absorbed uh, you know, whether it's Bach or whether it's early rock and roll or whether it's show tunes, the one area that they, they don't seem to have been influenced by at all is folk music. Do you mean kind of that very English type of folk well, music? Well, the kind of, well, yeah, but it's kind of finger in the ear, um, <laughs> itchy sweater folk music. Hey, nanny kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> have we but lost you know, any but, listeners by saying but, that? But, but the Donovan, the Donovan style of folk, you know, you know, like every every guitar player seems to have grown up learning how to play Angie. Yeah, you, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, not the Stone song, obviously, but uh, um, <laughs> but you know that whole kind of uh, Martin Carthy yes, style yes, of thing, yes. that 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 troubadour style. You know, you've got Paul Simon and 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 in 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 the folk clubs, and they, that's just completely. Alien, I think. Uh, they're they're well, not influenced by that. When they're getting their rock and roll rocks off in the 50s, it's all yeah. very tribal. I don't, I think, yeah. you know, folk music would have been seen, maybe would have been seen by Lenin as soft, you know, that kind of attitude. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, although we're talking about India, it seems that this song was written just after Paul comes back from India or it's finished uh, it, after yeah. he comes back from India. Yeah. So as you say, he seems to have this, this back piece in mind and he just works this out and he talks about suddenly taking it to a different... Uh, different level, and mm. uh, but this, this seems to be written uh, in Scotland, uh, in the farm on Scotland. Um, and again, this is the beginning of his relationship with Linda at this time. Um, There's an odd story in Shout. Oh, terrible book. Have I mentioned it's a terrible book? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but this story is strange. What, what's the story? Yeah, the, the, this, this, is, uh, the, the, this is Margot Stevens, who's one of the Apple Scruffs, and she tells a story about waiting outside the gates of Cavendish Avenue and said they felt something was going to happen because Paul arrives with Linda and he doesn't take his little mini into the house. He parks on the street and walks past them. 
which is unusual. And then they went inside and said they stand there watching kind of lights going off and on. And uh, she says the light went on in the mad room at the top of the house where he kept all his music stuff and his toys. He opened the window, called out to us saying, are you still down there? And then sat on the windowsill and sang Blackbird as they stood in the dark outside the gate. Now, I think that is a psychopathic thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 of Margot to be standing outside? No, or... uh, like of Paul. Like, uh, do you not think that's just really strange to sort that's of say? A, that's a lo- I can't believe I'm defending Paul to you. This is, this is a lovely thing to do. Yeah, but it's, it, 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 it's a curious that, you know, he sees his life as performance, that, you know, he is squiring a lady who goes on to be his wife and the, the mother of his children. And he's like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to um, sing to my fans downstairs that he's still incorporating them into something that if personal. the story is to be true, it's the ultimate in personal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also that, you know, he's like, hey, and I've got a good song to do it with as well. You know, well, he's not... I s- I suppose, I mean, if you, if you look at it, I suppose what he's doing is he's letting them know yeah. that this is his new girlfriend. You, you know, Jane yeah, is because that's how you do it. You go onto the roof of your mansion and you sing a song well, about Aver, Avery. I don't know. Uh, avian, 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 our avian friends. Uh, no, what I, what I mean is he's, he doesn't he doesn't just simply drive past them and into the into the drive and close the gate. Yeah. He walks Linda past them. So he's kind of letting them know, you know, this is this is the new woman in my life. This is he's kind of being very public about it. Um, There's that aspect of it. And then there's just this kind of nice playing a song for the fans. Fair enough. And it's a very um, appropriate song because you if I... Have, you, would, you would have been outside that house. Oh, listen, I would have been an apple scruff if I'd yeah. been born on a different timeline. But it's, it's as I'm saying, it's a nice song to sing because if I check notes, uh, yeah. read it, it's a romantic song about, uh, oh, um, it's about uh, civil rights. Yes. <laughs> and now this, uh, I, I think I first remember Paul talking about this in the Many Years From Now book from the late 90s. That's, where, yeah, where that's where I first heard it, yeah. Where he says, you know, I, this is quoting Paul, I had in mind a black woman rather than a bird. These were the days of the civil rights movement. So he was trying to write, keep your faith, there is hope. And uh, the, you know, the bird becomes symbolic so you could apply it to your particular problem. And I had thought for years this was revisionism, but it's not revisionism. No, it really it really isn't i think that's the first time i heard it and i and you know we we've heard him say this in 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 concert as well and um but yes if you if you go back to studio tape in 1969 which i think is the mary hopkins sessions and Mm -hmm. donovan is there and um he talks about seeing this this these these images uh, uh sort of in little rock and so so clearly it it was an inspiration yeah. Um, but he does say, you know, as is often the case with my things, a veiling took place. So rather than say black woman living in Little Rock and be very specific, she became a bird, became symbolic. So you could apply it to your particular problem. Yeah. And it, it's, it is this thing that we talked about with John Lennon, where you write something which is from a personal experience or something that you've seen, but in a way that, um, you know, it has a universal appeal. And People can listen to that song. We, you know, you and I have seen Paul in concert where mm. he plays this, and it does evoke a reaction. Oh yeah, uh, you know yeah. the crowd. The crowd do respond to it, and it's it's a kind of 
Yeah, you know, it's a kind of soothing thing. It's a comforting thing. It's it's not as explicit as something as like "Let It Be," um, but but there is just a sense of of kind of optimism or hope or comfort about it. Uh, and you don't need to look at the lyrics and deconstruct the lyrics. No. Um, it's it's just it's a metaphor from start to finish, or it's or else it's not. You know, it can be, it can be, it can be one or one or other or both. Well, it is, it is a, um, it is a song that he's obviously fond of because it's one of the first Beatles songs that gets rehabilitated when he's wings over Americaing and wings over yes. the world yeah. uh, in the mid seventies. So it gets played then, um, and it was the first Paul song recorded for the album, and it, it's it's notable that he's recording it on his own because it is just him. Yes, it is. He's he's taping this in in Studio Two while John is next door working on Revolution Nine. There's yeah. a, co- a contrast for you, you know. Yeah, no, very different. And Paul records thirty two takes, only which have eleven are complete. And there is a bootleg out there, which I'm very fond of, of him going through all the different iterations and you know you know putting one verse here and one line here and the other there. So even though it sounds quite complete on the Isher demo, it's still a very malleable song until he nails the the kind of the final form and the way the song ends and he comes back into the riff as well. Yeah. But he's figuring out all that kind of flow. Yeah, and there are photographs of that session. There's photographs of him sitting there and he's he's he got yellow shoes and he's red, uh, sitting on the red chair. And when, yeah. we, were, when we were in Abbey Road, that was, it was the red chair that, that, that kind of stuck in my mind. And I remember Mark Lewis, when he was, <laughs> he was on saying he, he was given one of those red chairs. I'd like a red chair. I wouldn't mind a red chair. It's a wonder the Abbey Road store hasn't found a reproduction red red chair. We also have footage of Blackbird, don't forget. So it's one of the few White Album tracks for which we have footage of the recording. And this kind of answers the question if you watch the footage of, is it a metronome making that ticking noise or not? It seems to be his yellow cloggy shoes. Yes, yes. Um, uh, You know, Lewis and Mark Lewis and saying it's a metronome, but Jeff Emmerich, for whom I have no time. um, (laughs) You are so particular. Except. Except here, he, he, he recalls in his book, um, very specifically capturing the sound uh, on a microphone yeah. uh, beside his shoes. But I'm prepared to take that because we have independent verification of that. We do. We have photographic verification yeah. of synced audio to actually see yeah. Paul tapping his feet, making that tapping yeah. noise. But it, it goes to show how rock solid his rhythm is because it could be a metronome, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and even though he's the only person on it, there's also some sound effects Yes, yes. Uh, so it's it's a blackbird. Um, Stuart Eltham yes. is the en- engineer at the time. He he in in Mark Lewison's uh, recording sessions book says he taped the sound of a blackbird on uh, one of EMI's first portable tape recorders in his back garden in 1965 or so. Uh, two recordings: one of the birds singing, the other making an alarm sound when he startled it. So. Yeah, Paul did say, you know, um, you know, somebody said it, it might be a thrush, but I think it's a blackbird when he was being interviewed in 1968. Well, do you know what I've done, Stephen? I have taken the recording of Blackbird from the White Album and I have run it through BirdNet, which is an app you can buy. And you can, you know, if you want to record a bird in your garden, it will tell you what kind of bird it is. So I, I, I would expect nothing less. So this is the level of detail we will go into. So I did... Uh, put in some different sections of Blackbird into this app of the song. And it told me specifically, are you ready for this? What type of bird is making that noise? It is, and I'm not making this up, Turdus Marula is the name. Turdus Marula, which is the Latin name for the Eurasian Blackbird. So I can confirm it is a Blackbird. Very good. Thank you very much. My work is done. Your work is done. Why did you buy this app? I see there's an Egyptian vulture has just appeared in Ireland. So don't delete that app. Yeah, so don't. Oh my gosh. 
It's the end times. There's, uh, don't, well, yes. don't, don't uh, delete that app. You may no, need it's, it. It's, it's, um, well, it's just, you know, there's an app for everything. Like, I wonder what bird that is. And then instead of having to use your brain, you can just go ask yeah. your phone. Uh, so yeah, BirdNet, folks, download it wherever you get your apps. Um, there, It's a pity, you know, considering there's so many different varial, variations and versions that we don't get much of a difference between Anthology 3 and the White Album box. Uh, you know, that's a pretty standard, just alternate take, really. This is this is one of these songs that I think, uh, you know, I, I'd quite like to have three or four versions mm. played so that you could kind of do a comparison. You could see how the thing uh, develops. Um, do you remember, but it's very difficult to play. Do you remember Paul, Paul in concert? calls out to people and says, hands up, who has ever played this? And everybody goes, yay. And he says, but none of you ever got it right because I'm the only person that can play this right. He, he is totally right. A friend of mine has tried, you know, uh, is able to play it. And even still, it's really hard. And it's really, like, it's extraordinarily difficult to play. And there's a very funny clip of Fred Armisen many years ago on Jimmy Fallon when he was hosting Late Night and he's like I'm going to sing a song for you all and it's Blackbird by Paul McCartney and the ones go yay and he plays it and in Les Dawson style he oh, plays right. it completely <laughs> wrong um, but he's got a very serious face as if you know this is the best version you've ever heard and it's it's that Les Dawson thing where it's just totally off and not quite and it's very very funny but the thing is Paul makes it I know he's been playing this for 50 years and he's the man that wrote it but he he it, he does just make it look so effortless but it goes into the canon with Lady Madonna and Martha, my dear, as these sort of very uh, finickety little songs yeah. that have these little specific bits in them that are strange. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't make a, well, I think I'd bite my nails too much to be able to play Blackbird, to be honest. You know, I couldn't pick the strings. Um, it, 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 it's a song, as we said, that he loves, that he comes back to, and it's also the name of his poetry anthology. Yes. Have you got that book? No. No, you don't. Oh, I don't. Oh. Well, you know, I, 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 these things are nice things, but am I really going to take them off the shelf and look at them? Are you are you buying the uh, the, the the new two volume set? That's I do coming? not have an order in for that. I mean, <sighs> again, it's just you know, life. I, 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 I space. It's space, money, time. You know, you buy these things thinking you're buying the time to enjoy them. And, uh, you know, if you're putting something like that on your shelves, you want to use it, don't you? I don't know what I use it. Particularly well, when I can just go and look at your copy for 20 minutes and go, oh, that's well, interesting. I suppose that's, I, su I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. I, 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 I was in my notes. I had put the very over-the-top uh, publisher's description, but I'm not going to read that out. It's, oh, really? For, of yeah. which of Paul's, uh, of Paul's Blackbird, Blackbird singing, book. singing It really over-eggs the pudding. Oh, let's um, have a look now. Oh, let's, let's, to actually read Paul's poems, whether exuberant love ballads or poignant messages of deepest grief, and they're obviously including spies like us in that, is to yeah. revel in the sheer power of language and to appreciate the electrifying confluence of dream and song. Indeed, his words are as pure and magical as we remember them. Oh my gosh, it just goes on and on and on, the doesn't poems, it? The poems here demonstrate against an acknowledgement of the solitariness of existence, an irrepressible belief in the power of words and music <sighs> to take a sad song and make it better. Wow. Well, well, probably I, I, it includes freedom. Freedom is in the book? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> right. To take a bad song. And yeah. Anyway, um, Blackbird. Maybe you've heard of it, folks. Check it out if you haven't. It's a if great song. It's worth hearing. <laughs> Let's proceed with the um, uh, animal theme that goes on inside two and talk about 
Piggies, which is the the track that George has been given on site to. It's, 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 whenever you look at the White Album, you can't just hit, think, George, you get one song on each yeah. side. Just yes. one. Bang, bang, yes. bang, bang. Yes. That's it. There's no... You know, there's no art to any of that. But there's another three or four songs he wrote at the time, you know, Sarmel Sea, Circles, yeah. the Not Guilty, that, that don't make the cut. Yeah, the only one that officially gets recorded for the album is Not Guilty. And, yeah. w- you know, we think that that just gets the cull in October when they're doing the running order because George is out of the country and they George, just take it off. <laughs> George isn't here and uh, they obviously realise, what? We have to yeah. give him two songs on one side. No, get rid of that. This you album know. doesn't have five sides. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's he thinking? What know is your he place, thinking? George. Know your place, George. Uh, so, so instead we get Piggies. Uh, Piggies. You know. and, th- th- um, this, is, this, is, this is must be your favourite song on the album. Well, it's so subtle. I just can't figure out what he's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, what I do think is funny about it is that it's, you know, it, uh, obviously it's it's got this Orwellian, you know, piggy societal yeah. type stuff going on. Um, but you have to say it's a deft two minute something pop song and yes. very enjoyable. And it is fantastically well produced, particularly it follows the, 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 the thing that I've noticed in the reissues on the five ones is that George's songs get very good treatment in surround yes. sound on all these yes. reissues. Yes. Maybe because George and uh, you know Danny is signing off on them and you know maybe Paul is toning down some of the 5-1 stuff on his tracks I don't know but George and 5-1 in Beatlesland is great what does amuse me is that this deft little two and a half minute pop song got turned into an entire album by Pink Floyd uh, just nine <laughs> years later you know there you go Roger Waters never one to take a point and you know keep making it non- and I do love Pink Floyd and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff but this is the exact same as the album Animals by Pink Floyd yeah, Isn't it? but but in two minutes. Yeah, and yeah. it just sort of says what needs to be said. I mean, it you know if if you're to come down on what's bad about piggies is it's obviously sour old George, you know the the millionaire complaining about you know yeah. societal tropes and things. But uh, you know it's a satire, isn't it? It is. It's a satire. And it's been kicking around for years. You know, he, he began writing it in 1966. Can you imagine this on Revolver? Well, it goes to show that his head was, well, like Revolver had Taxman. So yeah. it, 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 it would seem to be paired with Taxman as a sort of, you know, uh, you, you know, we kind of joke about George being sour, but it's a very interesting position that he's in to, to, to come from his background to suddenly be somebody of independent, significant mm. wealth. Uh, and then to have to, as he saw, deal with people who'd had this wealth for a long time, who he kind of found objectionable. Is that a, I think, that's, reasonable thing to say. I, I, I think that's a fair comment. And, but at the same time, as you say, with Taxman, he resented anybody trying to take his wealth away. No, yes. no, we're not redistributing the wealth through the nope. tax system. Um, but he's also starting, apparently, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, roughly. Or is that, when does that, yep, does that yep, come? Yep, yep. Oh, that's uh, when he visits his parents in 68, that, that, isn't it? That's, that's when he visits his uh, parents. So he went back to his parents in 1968 and discovered uh, in the attic, of his mm. parents' house, the, the lyrics or, or the notes for this, this song, and he kind of uh, so starts to revisit it. And that's when he starts uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Um, and so, you know, uh, you, you know, we talk about this inspiring uh, Pink Floyd, but, the, you know, obviously it comes from George Orwell, you know, yes. his, uh, his yes. animal farm book. Yeah. And uh, the, the piggies are broken down into... Uh, you know, little piggies, which are supposed to be the working class and then upper class aristocratic, uh, aristocratic, bigger piggies. And as life gets harder for the little piggies, the bigger piggies keep, uh, um, you know, taking. So, he, so he's condensed. Yeah, he's condensed the entire book into a two minute 
pop song. And, and thankfully, that song came out and all those problems were solved and it's not an issue today. And it's not an issue today. So well, it just shows you know, the, the, the power of music. The power of music, yes. With the, maybe, maybe nowadays you'd have a verse about piggies going into space. A little bit of political commentary there, folks. And the other thing is we, we have, to, have to give his mother, uh, Louise, a credit. She wrote a line. She wrote a line. Uh, uh, he, George had written, uh, you know, in in their lives, there's something lacking. And she came up with the line, but they need a damn good whacking. And and John also suggested a line because the original lyric is, uh, which you hear in the Usher demo, is clutching yeah. their forks and knives to cut their pork chops, which really doesn't scan. No. Which is clutching forks and knives to eat their bacon, which is a much better way of... Either, either way, it's a pretty sick line. Oh, it's pretty grim, yeah. But that's, pretty, the, that's pretty, the point, is that you yeah, just... Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a pig-eat-pig world, isn't it's that what we're being told? It's, it's a pig-eat-pig world, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and also, uh, the other great thing about this track is it features the future producer of Back to the Egg, Chris Thomas. And, uh, yeah, future Sex Pistols producer on, on, on harpsichord. <laughs> yeah, I bet Glenn Matlock loved that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris uh, Thomas, for it is he... Um, is is uh, you know suggests that a harpsichord gets played and you know you think of piggies that's what you think of really yeah so it's just like he 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 says you know they're working in studio two he wanders into studio number one find a harpsichord and was ready to wheel it back into number two and ken scott the other engineer was saying no no, no it's all set up it's all set up for a classical recording the next day so they just shifted their session into number one and uh he he played the harpsichord and he has a cute little story where he says while he was playing this George is sort of blocking out another song that he's working on which is something yeah and he sort of says what do you think of this what do you think of this and he goes it's great can we do that one instead he goes no 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 no. do you think it's good no let's do piggies and and so you know something is kicking around at this point as well and so is let it be because uh, be. uh, we've heard one of the let it be snippets on the white album box so these things are all percolating around exactly so they they, they start recording 19th of september is the start date uh, it, paul is does an early pass at let it be uh, george has got something kicking around um but it, it shows you kind of how the you know they're sitting on 30 odd songs yeah and they're still they're still tinkering with new stuff. Well, it is uh, it is the 26th of the 35 songs recorded in the White Album session. So it's recorded in the back end, as you say, on the 19th of uh, September. And it is one of the tracks that features all four Beatles, plus Chris Thomas, plus some sound effects. And what does John play on this? Nothing. Uh, well, he, he makes, just does he, a vocal. He, he just he does some harmonies pig, and things, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, makes pig noises. <laughs> well, so, listen. So, the, the, so, you know, it's... John Lennon making pig noises. Yeah, it's like... Keep that, keep that tape. As a side point, uh, which we like to do, you know, there's a reissue coming out uh, later this year of Rings Around the World, the Super Furry Animals record. Yes. And you know what Paul McCartney's contribution to that is? Is he crunching vegetables he on crunching that? celery on a track called Receptacle for the Respectable. And there's a track listing on the reissue called, uh, I think it's called Macophile Celery Crunching or something like that. It seems that one of the tracks is just going to be Paul eating celery. Excellent. On a you say, so I'm throw, nothing, throw nothing away. Throw nothing away. We'll, we'll see. That's due out later in the year as we talk. It's, it's a very good album. Yes. Worth having, even without Paul's yeah. celery crunching. It's no, it very is. good it's, a, it's very, very, it has, yeah, it has, it has a great uh, Beatly vibes on it. Anyway, we digress. Um, there is, yeah, piggy noises from an old 78, which they're masking by having 
kind of their own snorty noises <laughs> yes. on top. You imagine that was they, they were having a good time. So it was John assembled the tape loop, uh, and then they 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 make pig noises over the top of it. Totally um, good idea. Yeah, and uh, so he said um, the, again. Stuart Eltham is saying, you know, well that works very well. The new voices hide the kind of scratchy '78. So they seem to they seem to uh, uh, be taken from an old '78 uh, record. That's very funny, and you know, it, it's interesting how the somewhat fortunate, you know, accident that there's a harpsichord there when they're recording on the 19th of September provokes George Martin to write a very Baroque kind of eight piece string arrangement, which yes. they record on the 10th of October. And again, you listen on the 5-1 uh, where there's a little bit more pig noise as far as I can hear on the 5-1. Yeah, yeah. But the strings and the harpsichord, they just explode on that mix. And even on the, the stereo 2018 remix, it, it sounds yes. fantastic. You know, uh, that instrumental breakdown, is 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 really well recorded. It's it's very well done. It's very well done. And again, it's 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 completely counterintuitive. Yeah, you, you know, this is this is a kind of nasty, sour song. So what do you what do you put on it? You put a string arrangement and you put a kind of tinkling little harpsichord. Um, it does pop up in other places. The the as I said, it it is one of the tracks that has an Esher demo, and that demo originally appeared on um, Anthology Three. It kind of gets woven in and out of certain bits and pieces on the Love album. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to spot, I think, on the on the Love album, but it's it's there. Yeah, and uh, there is a missing verse. There is a missing verse. Yeah, not a great verse, I have to say. No. Everywhere there's lots of piggies playing piggy pranks. You know what's coming when he sings piggy pranks. And you can, and you That's can, a reverse engineered rhyme, if ever yeah, I heard one. Yeah, yeah. And you can see them on their trotters down at the piggy banks, hmm. paying piggy thanks to the pig brother. Well, Pig Brother is if you didn't recognize the Orwellian, yeah. like he's, he's getting Orwellian mixed it, metaphors there, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's really kind of, but he, he, he I, I think it was probably excised that verse, um, but he does reinstate it for his, li he, he does live versions of it in, uh, in the early 90s in Japan and uh, in 92 in the Royal Albert Hall. And yeah, it, he it sings it, apparent. yeah, he sings it on the Live in Japan album and he also sings the Live in Japan album with this kind of odd Dylan-y affect where he's slightly you know, elongating vowels and coming in slightly, slightly off the beat. Yeah, slightly late. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. is very odd. I don't know whether he's trying to suggest, you know, it's as good as a Dylan song. It's not as good as a Dylan song. It's not. No, it's not. But it is, it is I think, uh, you know, if, if you kind of take it as just a pop song, it is a great little kind of pop song. It's, it it's is. catchy. It's, it sounds fantastic. And the instrumental version is on the White Album box set as well. Uh, if you find that the, the, the metaphor of the lyrics is a bit too heavy handed. And it is a, it is, it is very 1968. It's, it's, it's a slight nod back possibly to, you know, things like Whiter Shade of Pale and uh, that those kind of classical music coming in. But uh, uh, yeah, I love this song. Yeah, it is a great song. I, I I know there's something else related to this song that we should talk about. Do we have to talk about it? You don't it's, like talking about it. Uh, it's just a bit of a drag. Okay, well, do you want me to read what George said about it in, in, in his book? Okay, he go said, on. He said, Piggies is a social comment. I was stuck for one line in the middle until my mother came up with the lyric, what they need is a damn good whacking, which is a nice, simple way of saying they need a good hiding which for American listeners or non-English listeners just, you know, they need a good thump, a good 
beating a up. slap. Yeah. Uh, it needed to rhyme with backing, lacking, and had absolutely nothing to do with American policemen or Californian shag nasties. Yes. So any provocative actions that happened on the back of this song were certainly unintentional from well, the uh, this author's is, perspective. Yeah. So this is this is just a reference to the the. Manson murders, where this this song became uh, kind of central to Charles Manson's uh, yeah. kind of twisted worldview. And interesting in the uh, in the book about the Manson murders, uh, George refused to give them permission to uh, quote these lyrics. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, look, we all know that George was a beautiful guy and a sensitive soul. I'm not saying that to be kind of trite. I can't imagine how something like this would have made him feel it must have weighed heavily on him it's certainly you, you certainly kind of have to if you're an artist you sometimes have to detach yourself from the unintended consequences but that that's just awful it's an extreme i mean it's an extreme absolute uh, extreme. example and if only you two had stolen this song and uh, stolen it back i have to say like, that and would, opened rattling home with piggies that would that be would, good wouldn't it that would be hilarious <laughs> possibly possibly not hilarious in a good way but yeah uh, no i'm just thinking of it now I can't, yeah. Are there any covers of Piggies? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Can't think, so. no, no, I can't. Certainly no famous ones. Obviously, uh, this is a song that, uh, y- you know, Inhaler can get down to the GP- <laughs> GPO on O'Connell Street and... Uh, Inhaler, eh? They're the future of rock. Yeah, this is uh, Bono, Bono's son, I believe. Bono's son's number one band, number one in the... UK and, and Ireland. So, no, and, and in the UK. In the UK too. In the UK, okay, they hit number one in July 2021. However, did that happen? Who knows? I don't know. I was reading about Inhaler and I thought, yeah, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then I read it said, oh, you're Bono's son. And I thought, no, you're all right. I read it and I went, oh, Bono's son, I am so very old. Because <laughs> I remember all of Bono's kids being born. You, know, you remember like, when Bono oh. didn't have any children. Yes. And also as an asthmatic I don't want a band called Inhaler. It's, no, it's, no it's, it's, like, it's like, oh, here's here's insulin and the wooden legs gives it. Yeah. Oh God damn it. Anyway, enough about this. We are not even halfway through side two of the White Album, but we are at the end of part one of side two of the White Album, if you can follow along at home. So I think we need to take a pause there, Stephen. I think we do. And think about what we've done. And, <laughs> uh, but we still have another uh, five songs to talk about, and we're going to tackle them on part two, the next episode of Nothing Is Real. What do you think, folks, uh, out of those four songs? What's your favourite? Four songs is enough for a Twitter poll, so let's just yeah. do that. Um, let us know in all the usual places. We're available on Twitter, at Beatles Pod, the Nothing Is Real Facebook group uh, run by Stephen, probably by the time this goes out past 4,000 people. There's the Instagram, which William runs for us. William Hinson. Thanks, William, uh, which you can uh, join us there. There's the TikTok that we never put anything on, but it's there anyway. Uh, and all of this goes through uh, the Nothing Is Real website, nothingisrealpod.com. And also you can subscribe and like to our YouTube channel. We are a multimedia enterprise, I would have to say. Uh, um, but yeah, the White Album, side two, part one done part two next week for nothing is real my name is jason carty my name is stephen cockroft and we'll see you then thanks for listening mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.